0: We're gonna cover chapters twenty-four and part of twenty-five. So we're gonna dive in deep today, and we're diving into a big story in the book of Acts where where Paul actually, this is the start where Paul finally makes it to Rome. But it's not an easy journey. In fact, today we'll see that Paul faces trials. In fact, we're going to read about at least two of them in the passage today. Trials in life. Have you ever Have you ever been on trial? Some of you, yeah. Oh, I'll never forget how it happened for me. It all started on a bright sunny day and afternoon when I was on my way to pick up Amanda from school. And I was driving, and I wasn't in a hurry. I wasn't rushing. Um, but I did notice in my rearview mirror flashing lights coming behind me and I I looked down and on my speedometer and sure enough I was 39 miles per hour that's how we measure distance and speed over there and 39 and it was a 35 mile an hour zone and I thought the injustice right could I not have four miles over the limit everyone else seemed to have that but no he pulled me over and uh I didn't notice that there were these orange cones all over the road, and uh, that that meant it was a construction zone. So he pulled me over and he, he issued me the ticket, and it was 75 dollars. And I thought, "Wow, that's steep, and I'm still a little mad." But then I, you know I went and picked up Amanda and went back, and my more rational self came to be, and I, I, really, I actually started feeling guilty. You know I had, in fact, broken the law. I had gone over the speed limit. And so in a moment of repentance, I wrote out that check, $75, and sent it to the Madison County government. Well, I thought it was done until a few weeks later I got a letter in the mail from the Madison County government uh, informing me that my driver's license was about to be suspended. And I thought, what? And they added on the back in the fine print that because I was in a construction zone, that no, the, the fine was not just $75, it was $150 more than what I paid, and I thought, what injustice! This is terrible! You know, and in the States, you have an option. You, If you don't want to pay the ticket, you can actually go to court. I'd never been to court. I thought, why not? Let's go to court! So I, I sent the check in that I'll see you at the court, the appointed court, court date for me. And uh, it was several weeks out, and as the as the time started to get closer to the court date, I started to get more nervous started thinking about the implications of actually what I had done. Not only could I uh, have to pay that fine, but I could have to pay more and have my driver's license suspended. I started to really worry when I showed up there that day at the court. I walk into this big room, and there are a lot of people there, and there way at the front of the room was this big desk. The judge was there. And I, I walked into the room, and they called my name, and I got introduced to a nice fellow who turned out to be my lawyer. Uh, apparently, in Madison County, Illinois, they give you a lawyer if you go to court. So I got a lawyer, and uh, he wanted to know about my situation. He read my file, and he said, Oh, yeah, you were speeding in a construction zone. I said, Yeah, but I, I was only going four miles over, and plus I paid $75 already, plus I'm a pastor. <laughs> uh, I didn't know if that would help or not. It was a big risk. I was going to take it. And he didn't say too much. He said, well, let me go see what I can do. And so he walked up to the big desk, and he spoke to the judge in the black robe, and I'm nervous, I saw him come back, and he said, it's taken care of. And then with a a twinkle in his eye, he said, go and speed no more. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. I couldn't believe it. I had received grace from the Madison County Courthouse. Wow, God showed up and saved the day. And I was reminded, actually, I was reminded that God is always present. No matter how the trial turns out, one thing is for sure. God is always present. He is at work, and God is doing something good. That's what we're going to see in our passage today i'm going to invite john if you would come john is going to read our passage from acts chapter 24 uh, and into acts 25 verse 12.
1: Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus, and they, were, and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent. Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude, but in order to, but in order not to weary you further, I would request you that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. By examining him, yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. The other Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city, and they cannot prove To you, the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous, and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance but there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence, it is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lycius, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, That's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Poetius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. End of uh, chapter 24, beginning of chapter 25. Paul's trial before Festus. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priest and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing to ambush They were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me. And if the man has done anything wrong, they can press charges against him there. After spending eight or ten days with them, Festus went down to Caesarea. The next day he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul came in, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him. They brought many serious charges against him, but they could not prove them. Then Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. First us. Wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, "Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me before me there on these charges?" Paul answered, "I am now standing before Caesar's court. where I ought to be tried, I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death. I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. The last verse, 12. After Festus had conferred with his council, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar, you will go. Thank you.
0: We pick up where we left off last week and Paul is in Caesarea and Paul's in custody. Uh, we see that Paul's accusers in the first verses 1 through 9, they arrive and they present their case. The high priest Ananias and the Jewish leaders, they allow the lawyer to do his work, Tortilius He begins to speak his case. He says, we found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among Jews all over the world. He's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect, and he even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. Tortilius gives the customary flattery to, to Felix, despite the facts Felix is really a bad leader. He doesn't deserve flattery. But this is what you do when you're a lawyer, so he 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 describes Paul, he makes his case, Paul's a troublemaker he's a he's a ringleader of a sect, and he he almost desecrated the temple and so this the the offense the the case is set before him, in the next verses ten through twenty one Paul makes his defense. He points out, Well, I've only been in Jerusalem for a week. That's a pretty short time to organize a whole sect, and to organize a, a riot, don't you think? And he sort of blows past all these peripheral arguments to he, he gets to the heart of the matter. Paul does this, you know. He gets to the heart, and he says that he's there because he believes in the resurrection That's what he says in verse 15. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. And in verses 22 through 27, we get Felix's response. Felix, he knows something about this Christianity and the resurrection, and so he doesn't really get pulled into the debate. Instead, Felix has his own agenda. Imagine that. He's hoping for a bribe, a little kickback. What can he? What can he get out of this situation? It's an opportunity, and so he says, "Well, everyone, let's just wait until like uh, Lysias, the commander, comes in. Then we'll we'll make progress." And so Paul is held under house arrest until Elysius arrives, but Elysius never arrives. <laughs> so Felix just keeps Paul in custody until a few le- years later. He himself is relieved by Festus. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 25. As soon as Festus takes office, the chief priests and the Jewish leaders, they immediately approach him. They bounce on him, so to speak. And, and they want to they see Paul tried. They want to see him put in prison and even put to death. But Festus invites them to Caesarea. So they repeat their conversation, the accusation, and Paul repeats his defense. But this time, Finally, Paul elevates the case. Paul appeals to Caesar. And since Paul is a Roman citizen, Festus has no choice but to honor his request. And to Caesar he will go. So this is where we are. In, the, in the, the life of Paul, one trial after another, it seems that, that the more we near the end of the book of Acts, the more trials we find. And it's, it's true, I think, a lot of times uh, that the, the further you go, the, there seem to be more difficulties. But in this case, we see at least two trials. Well, what are the trials? Can you think of the trials we've just read about? A couple of them. Anybody have an idea of the trial? You can shout it out. One of them was before a guy by the name of Felix. And the other was, well, it was almost before a guy by the name of Festus. So Felix and Festus, there were a couple of trials. And if, you, if you're thinking that those are the trials that he would, would face, you would be correct. But what I want to do this afternoon is look deeper. Because there are other trials that are happening here. There are at least two different kinds of trials. The first trial The first trial is, in fact, the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is on trial. You see, Paul was on trial simply for believing in the good news of Jesus. He was a faithful Jew. Paul had a reputation. He was a a Jew of Jews. He studied and examined the Old Testament, and he followed it all the way to Jesus. When he looked at the Old Testament and and he looked at the Gospel message, he didn't see contradictions. Instead, he saw completion. He saw that Jesus was the focus and the answer to the Old Testament. The opposing Jews, however, they didn't see it that way. In fact, they saw it quite differently. They saw Jesus as an obstacle to their religion, to their power, to their way of life. And so they stood before the Roman governor, and instead of proclaiming the good news, they put the good news of Jesus on trial. Now, you may have noticed that when we read this passage, it started to sound a lot like the trial that Jesus faced. I mean, didn't it kind of ring that, that, that sense of familiarity in, in your memory? First of all, there's trumped-up charges, and then there's no evidence whatsoever, and the Roman officials are simply unwilling to take a stand. It's the same as it was for Jesus. The similarity here is no accident, no coincidence. Luke is writing it, writing the story this way on purpose because he's intentionally linking Paul's trial with the trial of Jesus. Because this is where it all starts, my friends. It all starts when we put Jesus on trial. Now, now if you think about this, you have to admit... That we've all been there, or maybe we're there now, putting Jesus on trial. How many times have we questioned Jesus? Jesus, if you're so good, why is this bad thing happening to me? Jesus, if you're really there, why do I feel alone? Jesus, if you're really God, why don't you just fix everything? If, why don't you just do that? And so it's our, it's our sinful nature at work inside of us. And, and when, it's when we don't really believe the good news of Jesus. We limit God, we we shrink him down to our vision, to our ideas, to our goals, our purposes. And, And unless the Holy Spirit breaks through and we see that and we are open to that, that's where we stay until the end of our days completely resistant to God. It's our sinful nature at work in our lives. The Jewish leaders didn't know that they were resistant to God because they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They persecuted his followers, and and in doing so, they actually persecuted God. Remember what what Jesus said to Paul. Actually, he was Saul at the time he said it. When he appeared to him on the road to Damascus, he said, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He fell to the ground, actually Saul. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? For Paul to persecute the people of Jesus meant that he was actually persecuting Jesus. And that's what the Jewish leaders were doing in Acts chapter 24. The only faithful Jew, the only one who had read it right, who knew the Old Testament, had followed its path to Jesus, was Paul. The others were trying to fit God into their worldview, their religion. They let their religion define their God and not their God define their religion. They missed the crucified king. They, they missed the crucified king who became the resurrected king because they were building their own kingdoms. But Paul was there in the courtroom because he stood for Jesus in a world that is at war with Christians, with Jesus. In that world, Christians will stand trial. Jesus said in John 15, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. In Matthew 12, he said, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. You see, there are no neutral parties. There's no middle ground when it comes to God. There are only those for God and those against God. Nothing in the middle. Even now, as we look at this passage, something is happening in every one of our lives. We're either softening our hearts to God, we're listening, or we're hardening our hearts and not. But one thing that's not happening is nothing. (laughs) Not happening, nothing's not happening because something is happening. The question is this, what's going on inside of you? Where does God stand in the courtroom of your heart? Which brings us to trial number two. God versus us. It's not just the gospel on trial in this passage, but in, in fact, we are on trial. In this passage, we actually never hear the verdict because Felix delays him and keeps him imprisoned as a favor to the Jews. And so instead of a verdict, we actually get another trial. This time, Paul puts Felix on trial. The judge becomes the defendant and the defendant becomes the prosecutor and the Lord becomes the judge because really he's always the judge right that's what we see in verses 24 and 25 several days later Felix came with his wife Drusilla who was Jewish he sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus as Paul talked about righteousness self control and the judgment to come Felix was afraid and said that's enough for now you may leave When I find it convenient, I will send for you. You see, Felix and Drusilla, they they come to Paul, but Paul talks to them about Jesus, about righteousness, about self-control and the coming judgment. And Felix, he, he becomes a little alarmed. It hits close to home, and the sin in his life becomes apparent. And so he simply sends Paul away, hoping to get him to come back later with a bribe. He had heard the gospel message From Paul and had an opportunity to repent but instead he chose to ignore he could have been free from his sin he could have gained God's righteousness but what he wanted was a bribe he didn't want a right relationship with God he wanted a few bags of gold so what do you want isn't that the question what do you really want in life what is it that you seek because in the gospel message God has something for you greater than anything this world has to offer. It is something more valuable. It is a longer amount of time, and it is above a price. Anything in this world can offer, Jesus is offering himself forever. And in the gospel, God takes us to court. He presents the charges against us, which is sin. And afterward, he asks us, how do you plead? We have two options, guilty or non-guilty. We can try to plead non-guilty out of of ignorance like Felix or non-guilty out of defiance like the Jewish leaders. But either way, we're going to lose because God has all the evidence he needs to convict us. He can call witness after witness of how we live our lives. He has example after example, proof after proof. There's no amount of good we can do to tilt the scales. There is no way we can right the wrong, fix the sin, correct the mess, heal the brokenness in our lives. It is not possible because we all fail to admit our sin and we need forgiveness from God. So there's really only one choice. (laughs) And it means we have to plead guilty. And if we plead guilty, trusting in Jesus, hoping that God will be merciful, something surprising happens we would we would never expect this you would never expect this because this should never happen but it happens this is why the gospel is good news here's what happens your sin is a felony against god the sinful life not just the things we do but the brokenness inside around us of which we are a part is a felony against god and your day in court has arrived you stand before the judge who happens to be the one whom you have committed this crime against, you have no other option but to plead guilty as charged. You feel guilty. You know you're guilty. The penalty is death, and there's no way around it, but you you know that's what's justice. You know it's just. Now imagine, before you've even begun your defense, that the the judge leans in his chair... And he looks at you, he looks you in the eyes, and he says, your penalty has been paid for. You can go free. The gospel says that's what happens because of the work of Jesus on your behalf. Jesus has already stood trial and was condemned for your sins. He paid the penalty of death that you were owed. Jesus stood in your place. He took the punishment that you deserved. He didn't look for a way out. He took all that you deserved like a lamb that was led to slaughter. He was silent. He left his voice behind so that he could speak your voice, your guilty voice. He paid your penalty before you realized you needed him to do it. It turns out, that God was always there being faithful to us even when we are unfaithful to him. He was making plans for us before we even knew we needed him. Without your permission and your knowledge, Jesus came to earth. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He obeyed the law, and he was convicted of a crime he did not commit and executed on a cross. That's what the judge is talking about. Your punishment has been paid. You are set free. In that moment, you know your guilt and you accept God's salvation and repentance in faith. That's what Paul is offering to Felix and that's what God is offering today. The only question is this. What will we do with the offer? Let's go back to that courtroom. God has just declared you innocent. The courtroom erupts. Some of them are excited and some of them are angry. And you are amazed. What just happened? How can it be? You look up with eyes full of tears, with a voice that's shaking in bewilderment, w- and it's all that you can muster. A couple of words. Thank you. But then... You look at him, and he makes a smile. It's the most beautiful, most perfect smile you've ever seen. And then he gets out of his chair, out of that big chair, and he comes in front of the, of the, of the desk where you are, and he puts his arm around you, and he takes you back to the chambers. He, he, he holds you as if he never wants to let go. You, the relationship you feel in that moment, is, it's like you're a member of the family, which in fact you are. And you know that there is something special. You behold the one who died for you. And he's not angry with you for having to pay your penalty. He's overjoyed that you're there. In fact, he tells you that you are the joy set before him as he endured the cross. He welcomes you unlike anyone has ever welcomed you because only a resurrected Savior can do that. You have been reconciled with God, the relationship has been made right. And though you remain on earth, God sends His Holy Spirit to live within you. You are a child of God, you can endure trials. In fact, even in the midst of those trials, you may feel the urge to share that good news with others. You can face any trial because the most important trial has already been decided. Romans 8 says it this way, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? The answer is no. Nothing. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Do you know that? Do you have today a right relationship with God? Because if you aren't sure about that, now is the time to trust in Jesus. Paul knew this truth. He knew it. Even as he stands on trial before the Roman governor, he's offering the same gospel message to him. That's what being right with God does. It turns, it turns us into evangelists during the times of trials. That's what it means to live in a right relationship with Christ. And that's the power of the gospel. And it means that God is with you. Do you know that? Do you feel God with you? Do you have a right relationship with a resurrected King, the resurrected Savior? Because if you aren't sure that you do, now's the time to trust in Jesus. In fact, as we close this part of our service, I want to offer an invitation because if anyone feels unsure about your relationship with Christ, your relationship with God, we want to pray with you. We want to encourage you to know Him as the resurrected King, the resurrected Savior. So I invite you to come. Our, Our music team is going to lead us in a closing song. I invite you to come. We want to pray with you. We want to encourage you today. Come as you feel that.